0: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.
0: Hey, everybody. J.J. Cooper, Jeff Ponce here. Baseball America Prospect Hot Sheet Podcast. It's, it's another week. It's another hot sheet. We have dived deep into the lands of, of which prospects are having the best weeks, which prospects are moving up, which prospects are causing some concerns. And Jeff, as we look at it this week, one of the things that's important this week, we've seen this in a lot of different uh, leagues. We had playoffs. If you're in a split season league, you have the playoffs have your first half playoff spots have been determined. We have hit the halfway point. Where does time go? Where does time time flies? It feels like yesterday that the season began, at least for me. But I feel we are I feel like, go ahead. I feel like April and May
2: have they, they feel longer. And then it's like it hits June and all of a sudden everything in the calendar just accelerates. And part of that I think is because of how busy we are. But I look back and I was like, wow, it's June 27th. And I feel like this month just started like a
0: week ago. <laughs> so I, I think with that, like the the one of the pieces of importance of that is the fact that we are now in a situation where half the season's behind us. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about don't go too hastily to make assumptions based on performance in April, where it's like, okay, that could be a false indicator. Now, a half season of work is a significant part of a professional player's resume, especially a first-year player, first-full-year player. And we've got a lot of those. We've got a lot of guys to talk about today. But, Jeff, to start it off, to jump on in, our number one prospect this week's prospect hot sheet is Quinn Priester. Which I believe could be wrong, but I believe that's the first time he's ever been number one on our hot sheet. Obviously, he's been a a prospect of note for uh, for many a year now, uh, first round pick. But but Priester is a guy who I would say it's been a little bit up and down at times, but this week was absolutely positively up. And the key part of that is he had his curveball, uh, you know, and. Yeah. I almost hesitate to use curveball slider now a lot of times, but he had his somewhat power downward breaking, breaking ball. I'll put it that way. It's a, it can be a close to 12 to six, or I'm calling that a curveball, And, and when he has that, he could be really effective. You know, I, what, what to you, like are we not far away from seeing uh, not yeah. that, If I'm a Pirates fan listening to this, the probably the thing I'm listening to more than anything is: is do you have any bats that are coming? You know, because obviously offensively they've had some issues lately. But but what do you think? Are we not too far away from Quinn Priester's arrival in the big leagues? I
2: think so. Uh, You know, I think we had even heard rumors that Priester could potentially be called up. Sometime over the last month, i had heard the whispers a few times. It didn't end up happening. He's had a pretty good year, even outside of this excellent week. He's had a pretty good year in in AAA. And I think when you consider um, start of the year off last year, a little injured, uh, rehab back, he's pretty close to his innings number from last season already. And we're not even at July 1st. Um, so that shows me that he's in good health um he's been pitch, pitching deeper into games across his his 15 starts um and getting outs frankly he gets ground balls the swing and miss numbers are fine the command has been pretty good especially an improvement on you know his couple of starts though so it was a small sample just two starts last year in in triple a um i think under you know under the hood things look fine um it's a pretty good fastball you know he's sitting 92 to 94 he'll touch a five maybe he'll pop a six or a seven he's got a couple of different breaking ball shapes he will show a change up from time to time Um, but you're right i think that you know his primary pitch his best weapon is that harder curveball with a more vertical shape than a slider which is a little bit more cutter like um it's interesting because that's something that if i remember correctly uh when he was getting drafted, I think he actually did some interviews talking about how he learned that curve on YouTube. If I remember uh, the story, right. But I think he's an interesting arm. He's 22 years old. You know, sometimes during the Cape season, I, it puts it into perspective that I'm seeing 21, 22 year old arms out there. And then priesters and triple a on the cusp of the majors getting out, performing pretty well. And he's not 23 yet. So I think it's interesting. You know, I, I don't think this is a guy that's going to be sort of, you know, a front of the rotation arm, a three or a four. I think that's probably a pretty comfortable place to put him. Uh, He's a good mid-rotation starter if things go well. Um, If he continues to have some of that inconsistency we've seen over the course of his career, it wouldn't shock me if this guy's more of like a number four and maybe number five starter. But I do think there's a little bit more upside than our number five with Priester. Um, And I think just he's a decent athlete. It's kind of an interesting profile, the right pitching coach. Maybe they can unlock something. And we do see maybe a little bit more swing and miss, maybe a little bit more um, velocity on the fastball and the secondary stuff. And that could certainly tick the profile up a little bit. But I do think this is a guy that could come up and help the Pirates right now and give them some innings uh, from here on out for the rest of the season.
0: Now, someone who we don't expect to come up, but number two on this list is someone that you've long been a – a pretty big fan of, which is Kobe Mayo, the <laughs> Orioles, like what the Orioles need are more hitting prospects who are in the upper minors. They just did bring up Jordan Westberg. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Westberg made his MLB debut on Monday, had a hit, uh, you know, I, if I remember correctly, you know, in a, in a, in a very rain soaked uh, mm-hmm. debut, but we've seen Westberg come up. We've seen uh, Joey Ortiz come up, obviously Gunnar Henderson's up to join Adley Rushman. We've seen a lot of guys already, but what is notable about this Orioles team is, is there is more to come. And I would say in Mayo's case, we talk about all these middle infielders, all these infielders that the Orioles have. Mayo's a little different. Like he kind of, and again, we also could talk Mm -hmm. about the Colton Cousers and the Hester-Crewsteads and all, but Mayo is a guy who, who it's, it's more about the thump than it is the defense. It's more about the thump than it is the batting average. Like he Mm. fits a little differently than maybe some of the other guys that we're talking about as far as top Orioles prospects, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. Um, He doesn't have the athleticism. I think that we see with a lot of these prospects, Ortiz, Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, uh, certainly Colton Couser. Adley Rushman's a different case, but he's an elite defender uh, behind the plate, which is incredibly valuable. It's an up-the-middle position. Um, Still a pretty good athlete. I think Mayo fits more into that cleanup hitter, number five hitter, corner infield profile where maybe he moves back and forth between third base and first base, depending upon the defensive alignment and the needs on that given day, especially earlier in his career, maybe settles in more as a first base and long-term. That being said, um, the contact skills are pretty good. It's plus power. He has excellent on-base skills. And I think that when we strip away a lot of the other peripheral skill set stuff, the athleticism, the defensive value, we just look at the type of profiles that the Orioles go after. Offensively, it's guys who work deep in accounts who take their walks, do not chase outside of the zone. And to steal a phrase from the Yankees from a couple of years ago, they hit strikes hard. You know, they, they look to hit. Which is a
0: general, a general goals. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they said Unless it was a Christian like, in Christian and strand, it says hit all pitches hard. Vladimir <laughs> yes. Guerrero senior is like, hit all pitches hard.
2: Yes. They all, des- they all deserve to get, to get smushed. Um, is how Christian Encarnacion Strand looks at it, but
0: yeah. So I think Mayo's a little
2: bit different. I do think there is a string of, of 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 common traits that still run through Kobe Mayo and a lot of these other prospects, which is the reason he's an Orioles guy. So um, he's really been hot all season. Like he had a, a pretty good April. He had a, a good May, and then in June, I feel like he really sort of. Um, and I have to look at the splits here, so maybe I'm talking a little out of turn, but I, I feel like he really kind of kicked in the turbo boosters over the last month or so, and he's pushed his way into the top 100 prospects and doesn't seem like he's stopped hitting since. Um, it's been pretty impressive. So there we go with Mayo. Good look.
0: So I'm I'm going to jump ahead then. Number eight on the list this week is Emmanuel Rodriguez, the Twins outfielder, who, speaking of, like we we started with our preamble of saying like, hey – Now we're at the halfway point of the season. You don't want to overreact or underreact, but you don't really want to overreact to the first month, especially when you talk about leagues like the Midwest League, where it's not as cold this year often as it usually is, but where it's often cold at the start of the season, things like that. And where we are with Emmanuel Rodriguez now is, if you were really worried about Rodriguez early in the season, well, we turn around now and... Uh, if I told you he's hitting 228 you probably go oh okay so so it's still really a a problem right and then you say well but he does have a 377 on base percentage and a 456 slug and his 10 homers are among the top 10 in the league and homers and he's also up there in runs scored and he's also you know he's top 10 in on base he's top 10 in slugging he's top 10 in OPS that 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 batting average is still low but besides that Emmanuel Rodriguez is kind of having the season not dominating like you would hope he would it's coming off of what he did uh last year in a in a abbreviated stint in the Florida State League which he's by the way he's got more plate appearances and has played now at the exact number of games 47 games that he played last year before he went down with knee injury but okay, so he's not having a great batting average on balls in play. If that just goes back up another 20 points over the second half of the season, if we were talking about him as a 250, 390, 500 guy, we go, what is there not to love here? Um, I I know that we're both kind of guys who we, Emmanuel Rodriguez remains in our top 100. Uh, We do think that the plate discipline which is something that we've seen some other twins examples. They, the twins have the yin and the yang. They have the Edward Julians, and then they have the Matt Walners, who again fits more into that former twin Carnacion Strand's motto of hit the ball really hard wherever it is. But they do have a guy like Julian who has ridden the ability to get on base, the ability to hit the ball hard in the zone when he swings to the majors. They now have Rodriguez, who has one of the most patient approaches in the minor leagues, sometimes maybe to his detriment, but his swing rate is, is I would describe it as, as pretty remarkable. Um, It went up a little bit this month, but this month, according to synergy, we have his swing rate as he swings at 38% of pitches. That's that's a uh, remains a, a very low number.
2: Jeff. That is low. It's not, uh, it's not as low as Chase Mydroth, actually. who's about a 30% swing rate. So take that to the bank uh, on your my Draw, my Draw, uh breakdowns. But, you know, the thing is with Emmanuel Rodriguez, and I, I think this is funny. So you were, you were talking about it, and something's been kicking around in my mind a little bit, and I haven't been opportunistic enough in fantasy leagues to actually do this. But you could essentially short young talented prospects that go from the Florida state league up to the Midwest league every year, and then buy them back on June 1st (laughs) when everybody else like sells, you could buy those guys back at a significantly lower price and then watch them flourish. Once again, we've saw it all last year where that first month of the Midwest league, Tyler Soderstrom was an example in 2022 he was really bad over the first month of the season. It's cold. It's windy. It's a difficult place to play. Um, Guys are getting in, you know, it's a different culture for some of these guys they are getting used to that sort of thing. Um, So I think that it is in some way, shape, or form, a very opportunistic time to potentially buy on these prospects. And I know that we don't, we don't trade prospects like the stock market, but, I do think that there's something to this because you take a look at Emmanuel Rodriguez's numbers since he came back. The batting average, you know, since whatever, May 6th when he returned from the IL. The batting average isn't great. You you take off that first week of him settling in when the weather, say mid-May, starts to get a little bit better there in the Midwest League. He's hitting 259, 408, 491. He's got a 20.4% walk rate. He's only striking out. 23.1% 23.1% of the time. Uh, he's got seven of his 10 home runs over that 32-game stretch. He's really been coming into his own as the weather's gotten better, as he's come back from, from an injury, uh, and you removed that week or so that he, he returns. In a lot of ways, this isn't all that dissimilar to the case that I've made in recent weeks for Elvis Martinez, who's another guy settled in, was bad in the first month when it was cold, beginning of May hits, All of a sudden, we see a different Oralvis. We see a different approach. He's swinging and missing less. He's striking out less. He's hitting for power. Um, I like Rodriguez. Even when he was struggling, you can take a look at our our fantasy rankings. I think I still had him top 30. Because I just think the impact, the on-base ability, the fact that he does have a defensive position that can keep him in the lineup every day, um, I just think there's a tremendous amount of value. And whether we're looking fantasy or real life, my list don't fluctuate all that much in comparison to other people. So um, I guess that was my long winded thing to say that I'm, I'm still weighing on Rodriguez. This is great to see. It's good to see that he's taken up swinging a little bit more. I think there's a comfort level there too. I just think that the first month and a half in the Midwest league is among the most treacherous places to play in
0: all of baseball. That leads me perfect segue. Speaking of someone that maybe you're a little lower on, He's on the hot sheet this week. Doesn't mean you hate him. Um, we're not saying that in any way we root for prospects, but, but you Lin, left-hander with the diamondbacks is, it's gotten some attention here. He's putting up really good numbers. Is there some reason for skepticism there though? Jeff?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of us that have been doing this for, you know, you've been doing this longer than I have. I've been doing this close to a decade now. Um, you know, about seven or eight years, probably six really obsessively. I think we've seen guys like this before. Um, Guys that have excellent control and command of their pitch arsenal. They're left-handed and they have a changeup. And I can tell you if you watch A-ball, whether it's high A or low A, guys that have left-handed changeups typically dominate. They typically overwhelm younger, less experienced hitters, less talented hitters, because there are guys in A ball that won't make it up the double A or won't be there very long, or that would be the, you know, the end of their career. Um, he's interesting in some ways too. Um, but I, I, I think my initial skepticism, as I look at it, I say undersized lefty. He sits 88 to 89 miles per hour. I think he's touched a four or a five, but was really probably grunting for it. Um, there were times earlier in the season where he was more like later in starts like 86, 87, 88, um, which frankly, at this point, that's, that's 20 velocity. I mean, I see, I see guys that throw harder than that on the Cape that are probably not going to get drafted, you know? Um, so I think there's some skepticism there. That being said, it's a pretty good sinker. He's got a four seam shape too, that he can ride a little bit. Um, he's smaller. So there are some interesting release characteristics there that are in play. He spins the heck out of his curveball. He's got a curveball that's like a 2,900, 3,000 RPM curveball. He doesn't throw it as much, probably because he's left-handed. He's seeing more right-handed, heavy lineups. The changeup is his best pitch. He's a changeup first guy. Some of this slightly reminds me of Diamondbacks' Cody Reed a little bit. Um, That's that's not a bad pull. I remember him, and I have to go back and look. I remember him dominating in able. Yes. and then he moved up, and it was like, and this is back when we didn't get velocity, right? Like you had to do a little bit. Even this is only like four or five years ago, you had to do a lot more work. There wasn't any trackman numbers. There really wasn't in terms of the public space. Riders didn't have as much access. You know, I would have to check baseball. Okay, I
0: now, and then I'm gonna. I was gonna say that that's where the uh, you know it, it was it was easy for us. So, but yes, he sat 90-91, touched ninety three. Touch 93 in his basically his first pro uh, season was what Reed was sitting.
2: Yeah. And I just think, um, you know, you look at, you look at guys like this, there's a history of a lot of these guys getting in the major leagues as like number five starters, not necessarily like a lot of mid rotation or, or sort of upside. Um, hey, I mean, I think that there are some very interesting characteristics here. He definitely misses a lot of bats. He's an uncomfortable at bat, despite the lack of velocity. So it's not that I dislike the player at all. Um, I'm just a little bit more skeptical with the undersized lefty. That's change up first that doesn't throw, you know, even 91, 92, 91, 92. I probably am looking at it a little bit differently. You
0: know, he is throwing uh, at this point. If you are not a knuckleballer, If you don't sit 90, I don't see how you break into the majors as a starter. I don't. I, and you say, well, you know, I love velocity, you know, like what about Kyle Hendricks? Yes. I'm not saying that once every 10 years, someone doesn't, uh, basically break this rule. But what I am saying is, is at this moment, if you said big league starters who are sitting under 90, we have Rich Hill, Freeland, we have Zach Grinke. Now, in all three of those cases, those are guys who were well above 90 and now are not, you know, mm-hmm. well into their careers. Yeah. I'm not saying that you can't pitch. Zach Grinke can obviously pitch in the majors sitting 90 below 90. There's a difference, though, between you're the Wiley Major League veteran who's been doing this for a decade and you're the guy who breaks into the majors mm-hmm. and says, oh, I'm going to make it work without a nine- without a fastball that anyone is really going to respect. Yeah. And that's part of it. Like, I'm not saying velocity is everything. Velocity is part of it. Shape is part of it. Location is part of it. But if you're throwing 88 at the major league level from a relatively normal arm slot, major league hitters, you've just made their life easy, is the way I would say it. And again, mm-hmm. maybe he g- gains a couple of ticks, but... Yeah, yeah, he's 19, that's,
2: so it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could add a few ticks. But you know, still, I, he'd have to add about five to be, I think, more than... Major league average. Four or five.
0: <laughs> I mean, he has to add about four to five ticks to have a major league average fastball velocity-wise. Mm-hmm. And that's that's asking a lot. You know, and it again, the, the guy... So you, Branch, and Cody Reed, the one I'll bring up, which was formative to me when I just started at Baseball America who not many will remember now, but was uh, John Connolly was a uh, Tigers lefty who went to West Michigan in 20, 2003 and was 16 and three, 1.41 at West Michigan in 25 starts, 166 innings, a one whip basically didn't walk anyone. Didn't give up, gave up uh, four home runs all year. West Michigan is a good place to pitch, but that was okay. And you say, well, what happened to him? And it's like, well, he made it to double a the next year. And then he had a, you know, he, he briefly reached triple a pitched in Mexico, the Dominican winter league, you know, pitched in the Atlantic league, but his overall triple a ERA was over five and his double a ERA was over six. Well, why? Because a great changeup gets you there, but you've got to have more uh, at some point. But We're going to talk about one more guy and use this as a leaping off point. One guy who's speaking of players who had bad April's, bad May's, but is having a better June, a top draft D from last year. But we're going to do that right after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them, all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Just go to Indeed.com slash right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.
0: And we're back, Jeff. Jeff, we have in this week's hot sheet, and again, we root for prospects. I'm glad to say this. Jacob Berry has not had an easy transition in his first full season of Pro Bowl. But Jacob Berry has had a much better week this week. And the stat that kind of summarizes it, I wrote up Jacob Berry for this week's list. And Jacob Berry, in the first two and a half months of the season, had five multi-hit games. Jacob Berry had four multi-hit games this week. So to give you an idea of just how much better this week was, he basically, he had his first four-hit game of the year. He hadn't had a a day over two hits before this week. And then he had three other two-hit games this week. We did see a little bit of that power as well from Jacob Berry. Although I, I would say overall, if you described who, what is puzzling, like this was a player, this was not the Marlins took someone who was completely off of everyone else's draft board in the top 10. And then he went out and has struggled to perform in the Midwest league. This is someone who was considered generally. Uh, I would say generally by consensus, one of the better college bats in last year's class had a long track record of performing at LSU And then before that, like Jay Johnson talks about when he talks about Dylan Cruz, LSU national championship, head coach, Jay Johnson, when he talks about Dylan Cruz, he's often very quick to say, you know, like when you talk about the great hitters we've had, like Cruz, like Jacob Berry. Well, I, I, so before we leap off of this and go on a little flight of fancy, how concerned are you right now with the struggles that. Jacob Berry has had in the first half of his first full pro season.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly concerned. I know this goes back a little bit on my, my previous Midwest league take, but he really struggled for the better part of three months. Uh, And it started to turn on a little bit more recently. He had a fairly good month in June Um, still doesn't have, you know, many home runs. We have guys on this list that, He's got three home runs this season, even after this week. We have guys in this list that have probably hit three home runs this week. You know?
0: <laughs> um, yes. No, we, we actually, I mean. We do. It is a general rule that you will have a guy hit five on a normal week. Emmanuel Rodriguez, who we just talked about, who is younger than Barry, has a better, uh, you know, plate discipline, more, ex- you know, higher exit velos, more defensive value, Just go down the list. He had three home runs this week.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jeremiah Jackson had four. Kobe Mayo had three. There's multiple people on this list that still had more homers than, you know, Barry's had all season. And that's concerning to me because this is not a guy that is an extreme athlete. He's not a great runner. He's not somebody that is, a Swiss army knife out there. It's not like we're talking about today and Raffaella. Where we're like, Oh, he's a 70 out in center field. That can play a 55, 60 shortstop. And of course, if he's a 55 60 shortstop, you can put him at 30, put him at second, you can put him in you blah, 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 blah anywhere, but catcher. He's not that he has to hit. I mean, he has to hit for power. It, it doesn't have to just be average. It doesn't just have to be getting on base. If you are a top 10 pick that that's, gets that kind of money. And you're considered in the same echelon by your college coach as somebody like, Dylan Cruz, who, you know, despite some late criticism, which always happens for top players <laughs> before the draft, I, you know, I still think this guy's going to be a very good hitter. I don't even – I'm not even concerned about Dylan Cruz hitting Midwest League pitching in three weeks. In three weeks, he could be in the Midwest League and he could be hitting three home runs in a week or it, five doubles and, you know, goes 12. Dylan 12 Cruz, if you told me on. that Dylan
0: Cruz – is too good for the Midwest league right now. That wouldn't be shocking.
2: No, uh, you know,
0: um, Jace
2: Young has had his detractors and he's been pretty good in the Midwest league, you know? So uh, I'm still really concerned because there's not huge power there. It's not like he's walking at like a, a 17 to 18. He doesn't have Emmanuel Rodriguez's walk rate. Um, and it's not like the batting average is there. It's not like it's even empty batting average. So it's concerning. You have to wonder, where does he go from here? Are there adjustments that can be made? Are, is there coaching coordinators, off-season work, et cetera, that can bring him back up to where he was and what the expectations were? I think even for his greatest attractors, I don't think that they would have anticipated he'd be this bad as we've seen early. Um, and he had plenty. I mean, I think that it wasn't a, it wasn't a popular pick at the time. I don't think there are many people that would have said, I don't think he should go in the top 30 in the draft. If
0: you redrafted today, I don't think he's going in the top 30. No no chance he's a top 30 pick. If you you redrafted and said, you know what, we've just declared, and that's going to lead into this, right? Which, hey, we're getting ready for the draft. This is a great, looks like a great draft class. And now I'm going to be Debbie Downer and pour a little bit of cold water on everything, which is we are now almost a year removed from last year's draft. That is way too soon to make any sweeping decisions about a draft class or about a draft, a player from the draft. Mickey Moniak, the number one pick in the 2016 class, has had a nice little pickup this year. Like, again, that's, that is, that is now eight seasons from when he was drafted. And I don't know if it's sustainable at the level he's doing right now, but that's just a reminder, right? Like guys, like, Think of this as a marathon, right? And just because a guy is leading two miles in doesn't mean he's going to lead at Mm 26.2. But that said, one of the things that stands out with this draft class is is if you look at the top 10 picks, let's just focus on the top 10 because it's not going to be a, uh, we're not going to do a uh, Carlos and Ben podcast here. I don't have time to do three hours today, but uh, I'm sorry. But uh, I have a 12 o'clock meeting as we record this. Well, uh, you are talking about
2: 20. the 2023 Rule 5 draft. Come on, we'll get everybody excited. Well,
0: well we, we would set aside three hours for that, obviously. <laughs> um, but, uh, but what I would say is, if you look at the top 10 picks, I don't think that there are a whole lot of players, whether they would say it or not, who you would say absolutely positively would do it all over again without any hesitation. Jeff, I would say that at number one, Jackson Holiday, that is true.
1: Is that I, think, t- I think
2: that's true with Jackson Holiday. I think you can lock that pick in, no questions asked. I think the organization's pretty happy.
0: But Drew Jones at two. Now, we will let's acknowledge injuries are a big part of this with Drew Jones. Drew Jones, as we play, as we talk about this right now, Drew Jones has played 11 games as a pro. He had a shoulder injury, which seems to be the good news is, as we can say in Corbin Carroll's case, don't think it caused any long-term issues for Corbin Carroll, but he had a shoulder issue last year. He's had multiple injuries this year, but when he did play, which was again, very briefly, he also was really struggling at the plate. If you had to do over again, is he a slam dunk at two, Jeff, or would you say that there is at least now cause for consideration of other players?
2: You know, you don't want to write a guy off until you've seen him play for a month straight. Um, feedback things that we've heard hasn't been great on Jones. Um, I think you see a guy like Zach Neto, um, who's in the major leagues, um, you know, he's healthy. Um, Arizona could use a guy like that. You know, I, it wouldn't shock me if,
0: like, we redrafted this today if Neto goes two. I think, I think Neto would go to. I completely agree. I don't know how. I to be honest, if you did it right now, I don't know how he wouldn't go to. And yeah. I say that because he is a good defensive shortstop in the big leagues. There is, for one, we are not talking about any projection with Neto. There is still projection remaining. But if you said, "What is he right now?" He is a good defensive shortstop who it can hold his own at the plate in the major leagues right now. And there's a lot of value to that. And there's basically no one else on this list. After we talk about Jackson holiday, who you could have, I feel like had that same level of confidence with, but along those lines, Kumar rocker went three, obviously Kumar rocker um, is going to have Tommy John is having has is had Tommy John surgery is, is, is a situation where you are not going to see him pitch until probably mid 2024 at the earliest. And at that point, when he does come back, the reports were solid what he was doing in high a, but man, it's, it's hard to imagine if you talked about Kumar rocker in 2019 coming off of what he looked like as a freshman at Vanderbilt, if you said, well, in 2024, we hope to see him get to double A. That would have been a truly mind-boggling development, I, I feel like it's safe to say.
2: Yeah, I think there's probably points where people were like, you could put this guy in double A now, like when he was at Vanderbilt, right? Um, yes. you were some of his very uh, ardent defenders and, and big fan of Kumar. So um, I, I think that, some of us probably anticipated had he signed with the Mets. And let's say that shoulder, elbow, all that stuff is fine. There's no injury concerns. He signs with the Mets. Him and, and, and Leiter could have both debuted in AA. It wouldn't have been shocking. So, yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, it, it's going to be a few years until we see that. It may not even be until 2025, depending upon how his rehab goes and, you know, when he's ready to come back next season because um, I don't think he had brace surgery. I think he had full Tommy John. So that's, that's going to be a little bit more on the 18-month uh, sort of side as opposed to the like 11-12 to 12, like we saw with like a Nick Frasso or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I don't know. I think it was a bit of a surprise when Rocker went three to begin with. We were shocked. They're yes. sitting there in, in Los Angeles on draft night. Um, that being said, I think we all expected him to go in the top 20, 25, um, without question you know, anything beyond that, I slipped into the second round of the comp round. We all would have been a little shocked. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Rangers are a tough, are a tough one because they underslotted Kumar by about 2.2, $2.5 million. And that allowed them to, to go after Brock Porter later in the draft, porter has been pretty good. So, you know, I don't know if that would, change their philosophy there's somebody else that they think they could have gotten to to underslot and take that number up there there probably is um personally could have taken kate horton there right you could have taken kate horton at three um horton got four and a half or so so he got about you know a few hundred thousand dollars less than kumar mm-hmm. got. and is a top 100 prospect really talented guy something you can project out as a mid-rotation a better starter you could even see a you know where he could be a top of the rotation type of guy if things really click um, across the board. I think it's a small chance with that, but at least you have that upside and I'm not sure that we have that upside any
0: longer. So just keeping going, you're going to go through the full top 10 Tamar Johnson goes fourth to the pirates. I would say he's after a slow start, he's kind of holding serve, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, if you didn't like Tamar Johnson's profile before the draft, you probably don't like it anymore. Now he's he's probably, you know, a, a bat first, second baseman. If you loved Tamar Johnson's bat coming into the draft, I don't think that there's anything that's been shown so far that should dissuade you from that. You know, he's not hitting for high average. It is the Florida state league, but he also is really getting on base. He is showing some pop in a, again, a league that does not encourage uh, pop. So I think that's one where you could argue that maybe the pirates do it again. You can, again, assuming Neto's off the board, I'm not saying Zach Neto. in hindsight, you would probably take in that case, but I I would say that Tamar Johnson right now feels like the player who the pirates thought they were drafting. Is that a fair way to put it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that even if you just scroll down the draft board, the rest of the first round, I mean, who are the other guys that are even consideration there that you take over tomorrow thinking long-term Spencer Jones, maybe, maybe Drew Gilbert, you know, I I think I would probably still place my chips on the Tamar Johnson uh, bet and sort of let it ride out. Um, I just think offensively, there's so much upside. And I think that uh, people kind of forgot how good this guy was as a prep hitter. Um, I don't think it's gone away. I think he struggled for a couple of weeks, especially coming off of injury. We've seen him start to get going again. and then, as he started to get going, he had some bad, bad, some bad luck on balls and play, which is kind of the opposite of what it was early. Um, so it's he's an interesting one. I, I, I would, I would, I would pass in, in terms of uh, redrafting this spot. I think, right? Was, I think he would just stay, stay where he is. Sure.
0: I don't think that's the case at five though. Elijah Green, yeah. the Nationals took Elijah Green, and we just talked about Tamar Johnson is a hit first guy, but Tamar Johnson has six home runs this month has seven home runs overall playing at the same level with some of the best raw power in the draft class last year. Elijah green has three homers, but the really concerning thing is, is he has 104 strikeouts in 57 games. Um, Not hitting for average, not hitting for power, not really getting on base that much, but the real concern there is, is that it is, Very, very hard to find guys who dig out from that kind of swing and miss issue in low A and turn themselves into solid big leaguers. I'm not saying it never happens. MJ Melendez is playing in the big leagues right now. I've used this stat way too many times, but MJ Melendez had more... His strikeouts were higher than his batting average in Wilmington one year. I think it was 156, 156 strikeouts to a 153 batting average, which is... One of those things you hope to never see again, um, and but he turned it around and has made it to the big leagues. That is the exception, not the, uh, the common uh, case. I, I feel comfortable in saying that Elijah Green has to cut that strikeout rate not by a percent or two, but like it has to go from above 40 to around 30 percent to really even have a shot, and that's a big ask.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of upside, there's a lot of tools. There's some concern, and so you know it's obviously a risky one. And I I do think that when you start to talk about that pick, that's when we can start to bring up some of the other names I mentioned before: Spencer Jones, Drew Gilbert. Hey, if you're really into it, you think it can develop him, Noah Schultz. Noah Schultz is exciting, you know. Yes. Um, and it's it's funny. Cole Young. Cole Young has been pretty good this year. Different upside, different type of player. But you know, Justin Crawford has been. Pretty good, you know, another upside guy, someone that needs to learn, like, how to hit the ball in the air a little bit more. These are all guys that I think you can now make a case for taking at five Ro- over Elijah Green, and I, I don't think we would have even – we would have laughed at somebody who said that at the time of the draft.
0: If you said Roman Anthony or Elijah Green and you pulled 15 front offices, you know, blindly on it, I think it would be 15 to zero that they would take Roman Anthony.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I totally forgot he was a draft pick last year. Cause I was just looking at the first round, but yes, Roman Anthony probably goes there, right? If you're looking at the upside with the power, the ability to maybe play, you know, center with a future in a corner. Why well, not just go with Anthony at this point, you know, um, just because the, that the ball skills, the approach, everything is so much more advanced than it has been with green thus far, which is unfortunate. Cause you know he's a very talented prospect, and um, someone of great interest, obviously.
0: So, Kate Horton at six, okay. I, again, I, I think that the Cubs would go. Yep, let's 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 do it again.
2: Or at seven because Barry was seven. Six.
0: Yeah, sorry, Kate Horton at seven. I think the Cubs would say let's do it again. I skipped over six. We talked about six earlier. Yes, I feel exactly. comfortable to say. My apologies, everyone, podcast listeners, but uh, I, at six, Jacob Barry again. It's yeah, it goes uh, somewhere else. We've we've already covered it. Where you would not take Jacob Berry at six again if you redrafted this right now. Okay, so Kate Horton at seven, we agree they would do it again in the top hundred right now. Brooks Lee at eight. Brooks Lee's been fine. The problem yeah. for Brooks Lee is I can't give you any argument for why I would rather have Brooks Lee than Zach Neto.
2: No, that's sort of what the issue is at this point is there's a few guys behind him who have become more exciting prospects uh, a year later. I don't think it's a bad pick.
0: And no, I the, think it's If fun. we're
2: redrafting the draft and some of these other guys have gone, you know, let's say, you know, Roman Anthony or, you know, whoever um, – I wouldn't be shocked that you know if we see the shakeups and N- Nettle's already off the board, because uh, he goes two in our imaginary redraft. Right. Lee at eight isn't bad. You might still see that pick.
0: Right. I, it's not one where I think the twins are going, what did we do here? Because I no. he, he went straight to double-A, he's looked fine. He when I say it, when you compare it to Neto, the differences are is that like, okay, Neto looks like now he may be as good a bat as Lee, maybe even. A touch better. And on top of that, you're talking about you're getting a plus defender at shortstop, whereas Lee is someone who's more likely to end up at second or third long term. But yeah, it, this is not one where you go, oh, again, when we talk about the best, poly- most polished bats in last year's from the college class and last year's draft class, Lee was up there at the top with a Barry, with a Netto. And you'd still say this a year later, you'd say, yep, that's what Brooks Lee is. And that's what he's done. Um, so yeah, I, again, you could say you could make the case for him at eight, assuming that Zach Neto and maybe a couple of these other guys we talked about have already cleared off the board. It's not mm. like you look at and go, oh, they are truly regretting their uh, their their choice there. But again, it is one where Zach Neto being as good as he's been so yeah. so early, great pick by the Angels. Let's just we'll, we'll we'll end the Zach Neto discussion on this by just saying great pick by the Angels. So at nine, the Royals took Gavin cross who had an excellent debut in Columbia last year has shown power, but also has shown strikeouts shown the uh, proclivity for strikeouts in the Midwest league so far this year. Would you, you know, what is your take on would you do that one again? Yeah. So we're talking about an up the middle
2: college player and you know in the outfield right center fielder that's probably in a corner outfielder we got drew gilbert later in the draft who's up in double a been pretty good hasn't been as great in double a as he had been in,
0: in no has not been good in double a yet no, let's yes. just be clear yeah he's got a 271 um, slugging percentage in double a <laughs> it he has was great, great in high a and yes. has struggled since he got to double A.
2: sure um but Spencer
0: Jones went, you know, later on also. Yeah, I was going to say Spencer
2: Jones. I I think those are two guys where you can make a case that you maybe would rather have them uh, than cross. Um, It's not an awful pick. You know, I still think for a left-handed hitting center fielder, corner outfielder with power who gets on base, that's not bad. They probably just might have been able to get somebody else cheaper. And spent some of that money elsewhere in the draft than the five, you know, and a half or five and a quarter million dollars they ended up giving Gavin Cross. So I think there's some other options there. I think this is when we start to get into it where the board uh, has already been picked over of some of the good players. There's definitely other players that they would have taken, I'm sure, if they could go back and redraft. Um, there's some other guys who are obviously on the board that they would have taken over Cross. But I, I, this kind of falls into the league category for me where it's not altogether awful.
0: And then at pick 10, we're going to wrap this up. At pick 10, the Rockies selected Gabriel Hughes. Hughes went to high A, has since been promoted to double A. You got to see him, I believe, uh, this past week. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, the, there is, I would say, one extremely concerning number with Hughes so far. It's not the ERA, or his, but it, it's tied to his ERA. It's tied to his FIP, which is Hughes has allowed 12 home runs in 13 starts in 61 yeah. innings. That's that especially for a pitcher who is ticketed for Coors Field if he develops in his home organization. That that's a that's a troubling number to me. Uh, but you've seen him in person recently Literally. I have not. What is your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Gabriel Hughes?
2: So I thought I was going to get a power pitcher and he's like a pitch ability righty. It was like 91 and 92 Touch a 93 at peak. Maybe he had one four in there. Um, I had heard that the velocity was a little bit higher the previous week from another scout, that, from a scout who had seen him. Um, the slider was like, whatever, lower 80s. It was fine. Um, sure had a curveball as well. I don't know. I mean, or it could be a, a cutter and a slider, however you want to you break that down. Um, he <laughs> gave a lot of hard contact. He gave up three runs in the first two innings, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to get ugly. I uh, had a high pitch count. And then all of a sudden, all of the Rockets that uh, Erie was hitting off of him were just fine in leather. They were just fine in leather. Nico Colotti made, made two or three um, unbelievable catches out in right field. Uh, you know, guys, like, catching liners in the infield. One of those where like, the second baseman doesn't have to move, but he gets a 100 miles per hour lined your eye right to his glove. You know, he just has to move his arm a little bit. Um, so he had some luck. That was a start where it was like you look at the final line. He went seven innings. Uh, he threw a lot of strikes. There were maybe seven strikeouts. He gave up three runs. But there was a lot of hard contact that did not land in grass. And it, it was concerning because uh, he probably, if you told me he gave up seven or eight balls that were smoked at 100 miles per hour plus, it wouldn't have shocked me. Just based on the, the the type of screamers he was given up, that feeds into the home run number. There's a lot of hard contact there because it's not just homers. That's the thing we have to remember sometimes with hard contact. It can be doubles. It can be a hard ground ball down the line that ends up as a triple, whatever it is. Um, that's concerning. He doesn't walk guys, so I think like the hard contact maybe won't make him pay as much as if he didn't have the command and had the hard contact issue. Um, but It's not the overwhelming stuff that I had anticipated and what I had heard about dating back to his time at uh, the collegiate national team. And I can remember last year when I wrote up all the different draft pitchers in that series that I did. um, I looked at Hughes and I watched all of Hughes' career up to that point. I thought there was more stuff here, especially considering he was a two way guy that kind of got converted. I'm not so sure that he's in the best situation for his development. I don't know if he'd be in double A with another organization. I don't know if he'd throw the way he does and throw the type of pitches he throws if he was in another organization. And the thing that really concerns me about Hughes, and this was even going into the start prior, and why he dropped so much in the Rockies uh, rankings was he doesn't have great shape on anything. Any of his pitches, particularly his fastball, if it's not great shape and it's not great velocity and there's nothing release-wise, it's really unique. It's not a shock that he's getting hit hard.
0: No, that's – so I I will take that, interpret that to say maybe would not take him at 10 again right now. Uh,
2: Is that fair? Yeah, I don't want to wish this on Chase Hampton because I think he's great. But, yeah, I think Chase Hampton might even be the guy that I would take there, quite frankly. I just – I wouldn't want Chase Hampton
0: to be rocky, but the way Chase Hampton looks, he's a guy that I would take there for sure and and that this is a, the the point that we are making here and we last year's draft is is kind of i mean there are drafts where it's more uh, sorted at the top i feel like this is a more sorted at the top draft than last year where mm-hmm. i'm not saying that every one of the top 5 picks is going to become a big league star um in fact i'll actually feel comfortable in saying not all of the top five picks are going to become big league stars. I am on really solid statistical ground when I say that, <laughs> but that said, I do feel like that this is a class that if we're looking at a year from now, we won't be saying, Oh, I think we came up with that six, seven of the top 10 are guys who maybe a year later you wouldn't take there. Um, and I think that that's an unusually high number for a year, you know, a year removed for a normal year. Like maybe you could have said that in 20, after the 2020 draft, but okay. Yeah. Everyone got to see everyone for, for four weeks and then everything shut down. That's an unusual year. But that being said, the point is, is it is a reminder. This is hard. This is, and I I do think also, I will say right now leading into the draft, there is the added complicating factor that we are just coming off of an absurdly offensive year in college baseball. And there are going to be players who hit all kinds of homers in college, whose power is going to evaporate in pro ball. And I say that partly just because, we're coming off of a year where hitting 20 homers in the in college baseball this year was not all that unusual. Hitting 20 draftees going out and hitting 20 home runs in a season in pro baseball is unusual. It happens. It's You expect to see several come out of every class, but 20 homers with a wood bat in pro ball is not right now as easy as 20 home runs with a metal bat in college baseball is. No. It does make me think of what the Skeens and Rhett Louders did this year, is even more impressive because they were playing an environment where any mistake was punished and punished dearly. But, but Jeff, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, like it is just a reminder. There's a reason that there's a lot of effort spent on this and it's drafting its development. It's all that, but it's also, this is hard and I can promise you that we're going to look back at someone in this upcoming draft top 10 and look back on it three four years later and go. what what was the industry thinking not because the industry is you know ill misguided but just because how difficult this is
2: yeah no i uh i agree you know <laughs> this is, i think you put it perfectly
0: not much else i can say there But for for Jeff, I'm JJ here on another Baseball America Prospect Hot Sheet Podcast. We'll keep the podcast coming this week. We'll keep them rolling as we get ready for the draft. We got the Futures game is coming up. Uh, We have Prospect Pad Live. If you enjoy what we talked about here today, I promise you will enjoy Prospect Pad Live. Jeff, myself, Kyle Glazer, Savannah McCann, and other members of the Baseball America team are all heading to Seattle. We will be getting out there early, though, because if the Futures game's on Saturday, we're going to have Prospect Pad live on Friday. We will have six hours of live streaming where we will talk to the Futures game players. We will talk to other guests. Carlos Colazzo is going to do a a live mock draft as we get prepared for Sunday's uh, draft, which happens just a couple of days after Prospect Pad live. We'll... We're going to have a lot. We're going to have an all, and we want you to join us. We'll also cut it up later, but come and join us. Spend time with us. Prospect Pad Live, BaseballAmerica.com. That's two Fridays from now. That is Friday, July 7th uh, from 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific to 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prospect Pad Live. We look forward to seeing you there. For Jeff, I'm JJ. So long, everybody.
1: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella, is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Port, Chicago, Illinois.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,